Well, we've started our new series on the church, and we're going to uh, continue. The, the series title is Your Life, Church Life. And, and last week, we, we looked at the question, uh, what is the church? And we, we realized from God's word, and looking at the original word, that the church means a group of people. A group of people that are called out in assembly. And so the building is not the church. You here who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, you are the church. You are the assembly. And then we thought of the fact that there is a universal church. All believers are part of the church. All believers are part of God's family. Then we have special opportunity to be part of a local church. And this left kosher Protestant church is, a, is an example of a local church. We are brothers and sisters. We are a state. We're fellow citizens, citizens of heaven. We're a family. We are of the household of God. We refer to each other as brothers and sisters. We've been adopted into God's family. And we are the temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, And so collectively, as a church, when we worship together, we are where God dwells, just like the temple in the Old Testament. And individually, as believers, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we started seeing last week that uh, being part of the church is not about us. It is all about God because it is God's church. It's God's people who have been brought into his kingdom, into his family. And it's God's church where he dwells. God brings us together. God builds us together. God enables us to grow and to become holy. And he does that not particularly for us. It benefits and blesses us for sure, but he does it for his own glory. He does it for his own inhabitation. And so we were thinking of this, particularly from Ephesians and and chapter 2. And we're going to be uh, continuing in Ephesians and chapter 2. And so moving on from what is the church, we ask the question, whose is the church? And again, looking at this passage in Ephesians, we we saw very quickly and briefly uh, that there were five elements that made up the church. There's the chief cornerstone, there's the foundation, there are the bricks, there are the occupant, there is the master builder. And, and last week we looked particularly at the chief cornerstone from verse 20. And we were realizing here that the chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the founder of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the center of the church. And the big headline fact of last week is that no man owns the church. Left Kosher Protestant Church is not my church. It's not the elders' church. It's not even your church. It is Jesus' church. It is his church. And why is it his church? Because he died on the cross to purchase the church for himself. And not only did he die on the cross to pay the price of the sins of his people, but God, before time began, purposed that this church, this body of people, would be Christ's. And he gave these people to Jesus. 
So we're redeemed by Jesus. We're given to Jesus by God. And so as we looked at this and thought about this chief cornerstone, we we made the emphasis that we mustn't get into that temptation of thinking that the church is ours. And we must avoid the temptation of following people who set themselves up as the church. And, And I'm sure we've all seen situations where the Daddy G.O. has become the church. And he is the celebrity. And it's like a pyramid scheme. And he is revered at the top. And it's seen as his church. His, he is the founder. He is the orchestrator of the whole thing. And it is godless. The Lord Jesus Christ has to be at the center of every church. And if the preacher and the teacher and the church are not gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ at the center, you have to question whether that place truly is a church. Because a church, by definition of God's word, is a place where the Lord Jesus Christ is the center. And it's sheer arrogance to think that a man or a woman could own the church or be the head of the church. Because what man or woman could ever save anybody from their sins? No man or woman can even save themselves from their own sins, let alone anyone else. The only person that has the right to be the head of the church is the saviour of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must resist the temptation to think that the church is ours. We must celebrate the fact that we are part of it, and we will come on to that later. And as Left Kosher Protestant Church, we must be praying and pleading with God to protect us so that we always will have Jesus Christ at the center. But now, this morning, I'm moving on from this chief cornerstone, which we saw as Jesus Christ, to the foundation. It's in the same verse, in verse 20. And construction of buildings throughout the ages has changed dramatically. Uh, A building that was made a thousand years ago is is built in a different way to what a building is made now. And even just looking back a hundred years or fifty years or even twenty years, or some of you in construction architect could tell me even over the last five years, building techniques have changed. But there's one thing that has been consistent across the centuries and all history of construction. And that is for a construction to last, a building to last, it needs a foundation. It needs a solid foundation to be built on. And we saw that vividly with some of the pictures that I showed the children, didn't we? Some of those buildings that have come crashing down. And why did they come crashing down? Because the foundation was at fault. The house that we live on, live in now, we actually saw it being built. And, and we saw that the, the, the field, the little grassy bit where it, where it was going to be. And, and the first thing that they did was they got a bulldozer in and, and scraped up the dirt to rock. And then there was rock that was cleared and then on top of that rock, they, they, they put a, a, a template, some shuttering around, and dropped a concrete slab. A concrete slab, it was about 50 centimetres, 60 centimetres deep. It had reinforced concrete in it. 
And uh, I, I knew the builder who was involved with this quite well. And I said, why, why are you doing that? And he said, well, you're in an earthquake zone. And he said, what I want to make sure is that if anything happens, your house stays firm. The, the foundation is to make the house stay firm. And I think if there was a really big earthquake at our house or, or on the side of the mountain where we live, the house would stay in place in, in situ, but what might happen is it might slide down the mountain on its concrete foundations. That the foundations are that solid. Even if the rock underneath it moves, it will go and be kept intact. Now, 2,000 years ago, when, when Paul wrote to the Ephesians... He knew that foundations were important. And everybody knows that foundations are important. And when he was writing to them, he was telling them about the cornerstone. The cornerstone, as we were thinking last week, is the center of the foundation. The rest of the foundation is built around it. And, and so we have this idea that the cornerstone is intrinsically linked to the foundation. If there's no cornerstone in the old days, there'll be no solid foundation. And so the foundation that we're thinking of here is a foundation that is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a foundation that is on the Lord Jesus Christ. We also are very much aware, and this is very practical, but it's really very, very important. When do you start... The foundations. When in the building process do you start the foundations? Do the foundations come halfway through? Do you do your foundations at the end of the building? No, the foundations have to happen at the very, very beginning of the project. And that is vital for us to really understand what has been said here. Foundations are at the start. They do not come later. And why is that so important for us as a church? Why is that so important for the Ephesians to understand that the foundations have to come right at the beginning? See, there's two important things about foundations. If you're building on the wrong sort of foundation, you're in trouble, aren't you? We saw that with the sand. That was not the right foundation. The, the sand and, and, and the pictures we saw meant that the buildings were going to come falling down. And so if you're building on the wrong thing, if you're building on the wrong foundation, you're in trouble. But maybe you're a builder and you, and you started with your foundation, and it's a good foundation, but then you think, I'm going to build an extension. I'm, I'm going to go out and build a, a, a bit on the front of my building. If you do that, you have to build on the same foundation. You have to knit it into that foundation. It has to be the same quality, because if you just put up the extension on some sand, what happens? Not only does it fall down, but it damages the rest of the house. So, so the foundations have to be in the right place. But if we carry on building, we need to be building on the old foundations because if we're starting new foundations, we're in trouble. This is a three-story building. 
and, and if the person wanted to, to, to build out and make something larger of this, they, they couldn't just put some new foundations on this level and then carry on building the building up. It, it would be unsafe. And so the foundation of the church is this. It is the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. But it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we were seeing last week, is the chief cornerstone. He is the center. But as we go out and look at the foundations, we see here in this verse 20 that the foundations are built by the apostles and the prophets. And so the first subheading we have today is the apostle and the prophets. There is a foundation that has been built. We can see this in the language. Having been built, this past tense. The foundation of the church is on Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ the foundation that we live on as a church now is a foundation that has been built, past tense, by the apostles and the prophets. So we don't need to look for new foundations. The foundation is laid. And if we start looking for for new foundations, there is a problem. And that foundation is the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so we're going to ask ourselves the question. Does that mean we need to have apostles and prophets to be a church? Does that mean we need to have apostles and prophets to be a church? And yes, it clearly does. This is what the passage is telling us. But we mustn't confuse ourselves or make this passage say something that it doesn't say. The grammar is past tense. The passage is talking about the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament prophets. And so the foundation of the church is on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the center. And the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles are the foundation of the church. The role of the New Testament apostle and the Old Testament prophet is no more. That was a foundational role. That's what this passage is showing us. That's what God's word teaches us. That the role of an Old Testament prophet and the New Testament apostle is no more. That is foundational. We don't need new apostles and new prophets because we do not need a new foundation. We have the foundation. The foundation has been given to us. And we learn about the teaching of the apostles and the prophets in the Bible. And so essentially, this is where we get the foundation of the church from. The Lord Jesus Christ is the centerpiece. He holds it together. He is the chief cornerstone. And then the teaching of the apostles 
and the prophets, as given to us by God through his word, is the foundation. But it seems like there's a fashion nowadays in some church communities to have apostles. Maybe you've met an apostle, or someone who calls themselves apostle. Maybe you've got an apostle in your family. Maybe you've seen apostles preaching on YouTube. There's certainly people who call themselves apostles on the island. And I don't mean the Apostle Paul from 2,000 years ago. There are people now on the island who are going around saying that they are apostles. Now, I've been asked the question before. We've been asked the question as a church, and I'm going to answer this question as, as faithfully and clearly to God's word as I can. Do we need apostles now? Should we have a role of apostle within our church? Now, in the context and in the meaning of a New Testament apostle, we we need to just get that in our minds. I'm talking here about a New Testament apostle. And when we look at the word and look at what the New Testament apostle is, if you just look at the original word, it's someone that is a delegate, someone who's been especially set aside, an ambassador of the gospel, someone who's been officially commissioned by Christ to do that work. Now, if someone is using the word apostle just to mean that they are an ambassador of Christ, well, that's fine. But if people are using the word apostle to say that they have some kind of special anointing and some kind of special power that's been bestowed upon them, just like the apostles of the New Testament, then there is no room for that anymore. And that's because that was foundational. We don't need foundations. We've got the foundation. The foundation has been set. And so, in the sense of a New Testament apostle, there is no ongoing role of a New Testament apostle or an Old Testament prophet in the church. See, God's word tells us about the qualification of a New Testament apostle. We can read about that in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 21, they're they're, they're choosing a new apostle. Judas had left. They needed a new person to be brought into his place. And, And so what was the criteria that was needed for an apostle? It was a man who had accompanied us, that's the disciples, during all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken from us, no one of these men must become with us as a witness to his resurrection. An apostle needs to be someone who's seen the Lord Jesus Christ, has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. That was 2,000 years ago. And then the Apostle Paul takes up this subject and even makes it even clearer to us. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when he's talking about churches and he's talking about getting churches into, into good order from the mess that they were making in Corinth at the time, good things there, but also bad things going on. And in 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, he's talking about Jesus. And Jesus appeared to James in verse 7. And then to all the apostles. And then in verse 4 it says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now if you look at that, and you read that carefully, Paul is saying that he is the last of the New Testament apostles. It's there in black and white. The role of the New Testament apostle was finished with the apostle Paul. All the apostles saw Christ, the risen Christ in his human fall. And then last of all, Paul met with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I'm sure that you can all understand that statement, last of all. There is no room for others. The foundation is finished. The foundation was being finished in, in that time frame. And, and, and if you go on further into God's word and, and look about the church and, the, and how the church has functioned, there's nowhere in God's word, apart from when they appointed that new apostle in Acts, the new disciple in Acts to take the place, there is no appointing apostles. There is no teaching about the role. But there's teaching about elders. There's teaching about deacons. There's teaching about how the church should function. If the role of apostle was there, we would have teaching on what to look out for, how to do it, what it's all about, just as we have teaching on elders and deacons. Just as we know that there are evangelists, just as we know that there are other people there. And, and so we are in grave danger in the 20th century that these new apostles and new prophets bring about a new foundation or a new revelation. There is no need for a new foundation because God has given to it through Christ, built on the prophets and the apostles that we have in his word. And when somebody gives them status of uh, apostle or prophet, there is a danger, there's a grave danger, and I'm sure you've seen it, that they start proclaiming things that are not in God's word, and they start living lives that are not consistent with God's word. How many of these self-proclaimed men, we find out that they're living lives that are full of sexual sin? When they're living lives that are full of greed and gaining things for themselves. And then they justify their actions. And then they tell you, you mustn't touch me because I am the Lord's anointed. They are not the foundation. 
The foundation happened 2,000 years ago. And we are blessed with the foundation in our hands. It is God's word. Christ at the center. His word that he's been given to us. But what I want to do is, is, is to just to think a little bit more about what happens when we get it wrong. When the church gets it wrong, when the church starts building its own new foundations, and, and there's six areas of current teaching that is out there that are wrong foundations, and we haven't got time to go into them into, into great depth, I'm just going to explain very simply what they are, that you'll be familiar with them, and then I'm just going to give you one verse to show that it's wrong. And then maybe, perhaps at the seminars, we'll go into these in more detail. But this is what can go wrong. This is what can go wrong when we don't have the foundation set on the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. This is what happens when we don't have God's word center stage to the church, to what we're about. The first one I want to mention is the prosperity gospel. Getting it wrong. The prosperity gospel. It's also known as the health wealth Gospel or the name it and claim it gospel. And, and what is happening out there is people are saying, Christ and sin, that's not so important. But what's important is Christ came to this world to give you your life in your full life now. And anything that you need materially, Christ came to do. I heard one chap saying that the, the, the stripes that Jesus had that heal us from our sins were 40. And there's 40 core illnesses in the world. And each of those illnesses has been covered by the stripes of Jesus. Where is that in God's word? It's not. It's someone building their own foundation and promoting it out there. And it's all around this prosperity gospel. Joel Austin, Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, as was. These are people that did that. There's, there's lists of names from Africa. I could give you a people that do that. And they all go around and they are wealthy, wealthy, wealthy people themselves. They're not satisfied with one private jet. They have two, three private jets. Christ on a big day rode on a donkey. The rest of the time he walked around. These guys stay in the Hilton, the top floor with top security. Because they are what? They don't even trust God to protect them. They leave it to man. Because they're getting it wrong. And the foundation is on prosperity. The foundation is on gain. And the tragedy is that in places like Africa, where there is real, real, real need, financial poverty, great difficulty, these guys are stealing the last Naira the last dollar, and putting it in their own fat pockets and letting their congregations suffer. 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. The prosperity gospel is getting the foundation in the wrong place. And one of the techniques that these people use is something you've probably heard of before. 
It's the seed faith offering. It's a teaching that's part of the false prosperity. And, and, and they get sort of parts of God's word and, and, and twist it. And, and so people are thinking and they're taught to, to sow a seed of money. And by bringing a seed of money, by bringing a seed offering, then you can expect a great harvest. My, my worst interpretation or exegesis on the book of Daniel and, and Daniel in the lion's den runs along like this. This is what a preacher preached from a pulpit. He said the lions in the lion's den were smart. Where is this going? The lions were smart because they didn't eat Daniel. Daniel was their seed offering. And you see, they didn't eat Daniel. And the next day, what happened? The king Darius came, took Daniel out, and gave them all the other people. And they had much, much more. And so from Daniel, the book of Daniel, this guy was teaching seed faith offering. And he was building a wrong foundation. And he was tricking people into giving money not for the church and God's glory, but for his Hummer, for his Rolex, for his Gucci, for his wife, for his mistress, for his mistress's mistresses, for a whole sordid set of sins. 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, without blemish or without spot. Spiritual covering. There's a doctrine out there that basically teaches that your leader, your pastor, your prophet, your apostle is a human spiritual covering for you. And that there's people out there that won't do anything without going to the oracle of their pastor, their apostle, their daddy. And then they come and they say, who should I marry? What should I do? Come and pray over my car. Come and pray over my house. Come and cover me spiritually. Father me spiritually. And, and this goes into an, another area of something that they call heavy shepherding. When the, the pastor tells you what to do and when to do it and how to do it. Next week we're all going to be wearing these clothes. You're all going to live in that area. We're going to do this. We're going to do that and how dare you dare you come against me because I'm God's anointed and you've got to do what I say and, and you go to the, 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 the man of God so called the prophet the apostle and, and you take your personal affairs and, and, he, and he prays for you and, and he covers you 1 Timothy 2.5 says there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus no man can tell you that he is your mediator no man can tell you that he can cover you and bless you from God that is not any man's right the only man that can take us to God the only mediator we have with the Father is the Lord Jesus Christ he is the chief cornerstone and the prophets and the apostles the foundation never pointed to themselves they always pointed the prophets pointed forward to Christ and the apostles pointed to Christ and what do these men do? they point to themselves they point to their own wonder 
They point to the great wealth they have. Look what my faith has done for me. If you had faith like me, you could have these benzes. You could have these houses. You could have these lavish riches. And then there's one that can be closer to home. There's a false foundation of cheap grace. Or its technical term is antinomianism. And it's a false belief because this basically means that cheap grace walks in this idea. Because God forgives me, I can do what I like. Because God forgives me, I can sin. It doesn't matter. It's not just a matter of a little bit of sin, but I can, I can do what I like. The, the, the rules, the, the moral law isn't for me because I have forgiveness. I've got grace. Grace came and saved me. And, and, and you can see here there's, there's some truth because grace is a wonderful thing. Grace does cover our sins. Grace is what brought the Lord Jesus Christ on this cross to save us from our sins. But there's a belief that a Christian can willfully and rebelliously live a lifestyle of lying, cheating, sexual immorality, all sorts of sins, and still say, I am a Christian. By your fruit, you will know them. And as the Apostle Paul said when he's going through that wonderful argument in in the letter to the Romans, and in chapters, earlier chapters, he's explained the wonder of grace, and then he comes in verse chapter 6 and says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may be abound? What a great idea. Let's let's continue in sin so that grace may abound and we could glorify in the grace by no means. How can we who are dead to sin live in it? Cheap grace is not a real foundation. It's sinking sand. And on the day of judgment there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, this is what I did. And the Lord will say to them, I don't know you. You have to be careful of these wrong foundations. Another one is words of faith. This is becoming really more and more popular nowadays. These sort of positive confessions, the law of attraction, or maybe you've heard it as affirmations. It's the belief that faith is a force through which a person is able to acquire whatever they want if he conjures up enough faith. And and sometimes it goes into self-visualization. So you've got to picture it in your mind, yes? Picture the money. Picture the degree. Think about it. And then we make it spiritual and we pray and we have the faith and we're going to name it and we're going to claim it and we're going to bring it into our lives because our faith is going to have it. And there's people out there that they're preaching this. And there's people out there proclaiming this. We're not supposed to have faith in our faith. That's not how it works. Faith is a real thing. Faith is a gift from who? From God. 
It's not of works, lest any man should boast. And what have these people done? My positive word of faith is works. It's a works-based religion. It's a wrong foundation. And it's being proclaimed out there. And masses of people are being sucked into it. Leah was saying to me the other day that even her friends at school, who are just totally non-Christian people, are, are saying, I'm going to affirm that my exams will go well. I'm believing my exams will go well. I must have done the wrong sort of believing for my exams, I can tell you. We're not supposed, as I said, to have faith in our faith. Or faith in our own words. What arrogance it is to say we have faith in our own words. Let's spin right back to Genesis in the beginning. What was there? It was nothing. And God was hovering over the world, didn't he? And what did he do? He spoke into the world and out of nothing came something. And these people basically are saying, we are mini-gods. And by our words, we're going to speak things into it. And the arrogance of that is just contemptible. To say to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I'm as good as you. It's a false foundation. What about lastly from these getting it wrong, the selling of anointed objects? Or maybe the buying of anointed objects. Have you seen anointing oil for sale on Facebook? Some people have. I'm not going to ask if you bought it. Water. Handkerchiefs. Something embossed with the great man's logo. Oh. And, and, and now they don't put a price tag on it because that would be selling it. Just a gift. A big gift. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget the, uh, the, 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 the drama that was done one Christmas time. And uh, the, the, the line that so is it etched on my mind is someone was wanting to get to America and they were giving a gift to the pastor to, to have help his prayers for America and the pastor looked at this gift and he said no prayers for America need dollars not Naira <laughs> and we laugh don't we because it's happening and it's a wrong foundation And it's a foundation that robs God of his glory. You see, Matthew, when he was speaking to his disciples, the very apostles whom this foundation is built on, he said to them in Matthew 10 and 8, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. You received without paying. Give without pay. There's a book written by Benny Hinn's nephew. Benny Hinn's nephew was positioned to take Benny Hinn's position. That's how anointed they thought he was. He now trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and has seen the error of it. But when you read his book, you realize that this whole healing things that were put on weren't about people being healed but they were about filling buckets with money to fund a lavish lifestyle. Acts chapter 8, verse 9, or chapters verse 9 through 24, we read of Simon the sorcerer. He saw the power of the Holy Spirit 
and he wanted to buy it. And you can read and see what happened to him there. And so we can see getting it wrong. So how do we get it right? That's what I want to, to contest at the last of our time on this morning, is getting it right. How do we protect ourselves from this? How do we protect the church from this? Well, we need to be built, verse 20, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Getting that bit right, realizing that the foundation of the apostles and the prophets is God's word. And Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is our foundation when brother Glare was introducing you to left kosher protestant church he said we're a bible believing church the, the protestant there in our title just basically means it is god's word and god's word alone that's what we need christ at the center god's word there addressing the question why some africans love their scandalized preachers in an article, Edin Moran says this. He says, therefore, it's the primary reason why many Ghanaians follow their pastors, even though they've got involved in treacherous sins and seen to be charlatans. And he says, this is the reason. They have very little interest in studying the Bible deeply. Most of them neglect formal study of theology, calling it the wisdom of men. And who gave them that idea? The false teachers and the false pastors. There was a time when the Roman Catholic Church was causing great trouble to the true believers of this world. And the reason was they had the Bible in Latin and nobody could understand it. And they kept people from the truth. We need to hold to God's word. If you, friend, want to be protected from those dangers, from the false foundations that are out there, you can be, through Christ and his word. We have everything. And the early church sets us an example in Acts chapter 2, and, and the, the verse that we often read when we bring new people into membership here, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." and fellowship. If you want a firm foundation, devote yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Devote yourself to the apostles teaching his word and keep in fellowship with one another. The church has been redeemed and saved by Jesus. The foundation that God's people are built on are the Bible. And if you get rid of the Bible, you have a building without a foundation. And if you have a building without a foundation, you saw what happened with the wise and the foolish builders. A Bible without Jesus is an empty religion. And Jesus without the Bible is a church without foundation. And if we are truly God's, we want to know more about him. We want to know more about our Savior. We want to learn more of his love for us. And the place to do that is in his word. It's not YouTube. There's some great resources on the internet, yeah? But if you spend more time in God's word and less time in that place, you will grow and your foundation will be stronger. If you want to find out how to please Jesus, it's in his word. After Christ... 
being the center, we must have his word as the center. And sadly, that's why the world, the church, is in such disarray at the moment. Aside from those examples that I gave earlier of false foundations, if you look around the world now, you have people, wise people, seemingly wise people, looking at God's word and saying, well, actually, the creation, that didn't really happen. Oh, the, the Ten Commandments, they're a bit old-fashioned. They don't matter. Oh, sexual issues? What can a 4,000-year-old a book tell me about sexual issues? Of course a man can be a woman if he fancies it. And if a woman wants to be a man, that's quite all right. And if you want a gender that's not even existing yet, just make it up and make it happen. It doesn't really matter. And, oh, we don't like some of these nasty bits. There's, there's a bit of bloodshed here. That, 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 oh, dearie me. A God of wrath? No, we want a God of love. Let's rip those pages out. Virgin birth? Who believes in that anymore? Miracles? Oh, they're just metaphors of things that, well, and the resurrection of Christ? And the list goes on. And, and the church nowadays has taken this precious foundation that was given by the Holy Spirit through the prophets and the apostles, and they're just ripping it to shreds, and they've left us with nothing. And friends, that's why we're passionate here. That Christ's word is in the center of what we do. And that's why this series, as we go on, as we want to introduce you and ourselves to growing as a church, as we talk about different things we should be doing, it'll be because God's word is telling us to do them. And I want you to go home and look at this and look at it from God's word. And, and if I ever say stuff that's not in God's word, you come back and tell me. We need, to, we need to be kept on God's word because when the church starts ripping bits out, it gets weaker and weaker and falls into a mess. Individually, if you want to protect yourselves, get stuck into God's word. And as a church, we must have God's word at the center. That's why we do Bible study. That's why we do preaching. That's why we have book clubs so that you can learn more. That's why we have student seminars so that we can learn more. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Does God's word drive the teaching and the activities we do? Or do we do activities and stuff and then fit God's word around it? Because that's the wrong way around. We need to get it right. Christ first built on his word. We need to be praying that God would protect us, that his word would always be at the center of what we do here. And in fellowship, you've got a, a role to do with each other. Encourage each other in the word. Help each other in the word. And ask yourselves this question in closing. The audit for today, is God's word at the center of your life? And the audit for ourselves as a church is God's word at the center of Left Kosher Protestant Church. And if it's not, we need to ask God to help us put it there. Amen. Just want you to take a few moments to think about those questions and to think about what you've heard, and then I will announce the hymn, and then we will close the meeting.
Amen. Amen. We're going to sing the hymn, How Firm a Foundation, You Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say to the new he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled? When the music starts, please stand and we will sing together to God's praise the hymn that will be on the screen or on your devices. Thank you. <laughs>